Lord, we want to be more and more aware of your presence as we go through life, whether we're at the market, we're driving down the road. We want to hear your voice. We want that prompting to, to lead us into your perfect will, wherever to be. So, Lord, change our hearts, where our hearts need to be changed. Grant us that grace of repentance of those things that we need to repent from. And Father, I pray that you just help me communicate the, the message clearly. Your word is you intended it for it to be. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. We're only looking at a few verses today. And the focus is going to be, I, I, I titled it, Off with the Old. And really it's, it's part of something that's going to be bigger. Off with the old man and on with the new man or that new creation. Now, when you were born again, you were placed in the body of Christ, you then are a new creature in Christ. And we're going to see that there is a, a, a standing, a position that you have in Christ. But practically, don't we all struggle today to walk that straight walk? Every one of us here. I don't know a person in this life that has arrived there. And this is what this message is about, is, is putting off those things of the flesh. Look with me in verse 5 in your text. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amount to idolatry. For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside that old self with its evil practices. Last week we, we looked in the beginning of the text and we saw in, in verse 3 that we died to self. And here we're called to put to death the members, the members which are on earth. And those members are, are these desires that we have, these physical desires in our body. Now, there are, the desires are good if they're used within the godly frame that God has given them to us. Well, in these two verses, what's interesting is we see the two verses give us a, a clear illustration. Illustration of the difference between a, a believer's standing and a state. Your standing, if you've been bo born again, is God sees you just as you never sinned. There should be an amen there, right? That is the most wonderful thing. He sees you without any sin. Why? Because he sees you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the work across what he has done for you. When that day of judgment comes, you will not be judged with the white throne judgment for the unbelievers, but you will be rewarded for the faithfulness, those things that God is showing you to do, and you go out and do them. Now his, his standing is he's died. That's, again, you're kind of your position. You've died. And what it's going back to is talking about baptism. Baptism being a symbolic situation. That when a person is taken down in the water, he is buried with Christ and raised in that newness of life. You have identified with Christ's death, that he died for your sins, and you're raised in that newness of life, and now we're to walk what's called that resurrected life. Our position when we identify, again, is we're justified. That's our position. But practically, we all struggle. And that's, that's again, the state. And, and we're called, uh, King James uses it, and I think even the, the, uh, 
the uh, New American Standard sometimes that we're to reckon ourselves dead. Dead to sin, putting to death the members which are on earth. Oh, our standing again is in Christ. But the state is ourselves. Who is your worst enemy today? It's not Satan. I, I, I can be tempted so easy on my own. Because I, lust, I have lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. I know these are sins, so I need to abstain. He's saying, put these things off. Choose to turn away from them. You remember when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. He had already had decided when something was happening, because he saw it was leading up, that he would run. He would avoid that situation. He would not be caught up with it. And that's a way of putting aside. Don't entertain these thoughts in your mind. And that's important to understand. Our standing is in Christ, but our state is in ourself. Our standing is a free gift. And this is important to understand. Gift of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, star, our state is that represents the present God's grace. God's grace is sufficient to help you in any and every situation no matter what the temptation. When you give in to temptation, you've given in on your own. God is promised to be there and we have to submit to Him. And all of us now have to understand there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but we also have to recognize that we may fall sometimes. We may give in to something we don't want to give in. And then God gives us that godly sorrow in our hearts that leads us to repentance, leads us back that our fellowship is renewed with him. I like this quote that I saw. I freely give to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ a position of favor in my sight. Now go out and live the life that is consistent with the high calling that is grace. It's important to understand, you've been born again, you're a new creature in Christ, we're called to go and live that life, but we live it and walk it out in grace. God will sustain you, God will keep you, he will enable you. Now it's important, is there anyone here that doesn't need grace today? Hint, don't hold up your hand. We need his grace to sustain us and, and, and keep us, and we all know that, and we thank God for that grace. But we, people should be gracious to others, shouldn't we? Because we're going to see faults in one another. It's really easy for a husband and a wife to see faults in one another, but we need to be gracious. I like the old expression that says, um, there go I, but for the grace of God. That was him before that situation. God will come in. He'll change our lives when we submit to him. Well, there's another quote I saw. Again, the Christian is not ruined by living in the world, but by the world living in him. See, that's to be the difference. In this life, it's, it's not that people should see us, oh, he's a holy man, but they should see that our choices are different in the world. Our choices should convict them, but not condemn them. We should not be angry at somebody if they don't agree the way we do. We, we need to love them. We need to be gracious to them. And kind to them. And recognize they're doing the same things that you and I perhaps did before we became a believer. It's a very important thing to understand that no other time in history has this statement been so truer. And that is that the lines between a Christian 
and the world are very narrow. A person professes to be a Christian, but they're living in the world. The world is actually living in them. There are many that are deceiving themselves. They're not trusting in Jesus Christ. They have not had a changed heart, and they profess to be believers. And I, and I go on to say, but they do not possess a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's very important. The power is there. And if you've truly been born again, you have a desire to do what's right, that's honoring, that's glorifying God, that's edifying to those around us. So we need to be reminded while we're in this world that we're not allowed to let the world rule in us. Now there's extreme teaching that people come to, and before we get actually into our text, it's Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it, throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of the body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I, I, I take the scripture literal. When common sense makes sense, seek no other sense. But this is meant to be symbolic. I've known people that have gone to the extreme, that have gouged out their eyes because they can't control what they're seeing. This is never what our God teaches us to do. He's telling us here how important it is to deal with our body, our members the desires. Our bodies are the temple of God. God would not have you destroy your body. He would not have you cut your hands off. In the 1800s, it was very, very popular at that time. If a person was stealing, they would cut off his hand. Then they would cut off the other hand if he's caught again. And the thief still cut or stole with his mouth because he learned to take as mouth and steel. It doesn't stop. The desire is in the heart. People would go into monasteries and thinking, well, I'll get away. There's walls around to protect me. But they still lusted in their heart. What God wants us to see, it's very important. It's going to cost you. Not necessarily your physical body, but it could cost you your salvation. I don't believe a person loses salvation, but it can reveal the choices you make habitually, ongoing, daily, whether you're truly a believer or not a believer. God will not be mocked. Do not deceive yourselves. It's important to understand. So the flesh is what they're trying to say is weak. There isn't a man here that if he were out in a large crowd and saw a beautiful woman walking by, wouldn't turn his head and look. Honestly, right? But every man understands what I'm saying. But it's what you do with that look. You have to choose to turn away. God's grace is sufficient. I think I heard David Rosales years ago, and he was talking about a situation of a man lusting for a woman. And he says, look at her as your sister. And the man that you know, was struggling with this all of a sudden had to step back. Well, again, we're going to have this struggle as long as we're in this life. And Romans 8.13 says this, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But the question is always, how do I do it? 
if you try to do it on your own power, it ain't going to get done. But I love Zechariah 4, 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You need the spirit of God. Now people will talk about baptism and speaking in tongues, and, and I believe it's a valid gift, but you need the Holy Spirit to guide you, to strengthen you, to protect you, to help you walk away from these things. Well, Colossians 3.16 says this, it begins, letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual things, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, this makes a difference. You, you probably heard the expression, garbage in and garbage out, right? When I was growing plants many years ago, I would always want to put the best materials, the best fertilizer, everything I could, and I came out with a great product in a spiritual sense. You need to feed your soul. The Word of God and these psalms, these hymns, so they, they fill you and they live through you. These are the things that will filter out the rubbish in this life. Look at verse 5 now. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Because we have died again to Christ is what he's saying. And that's important to understand that we have this spiritual power now that indwells us the Holy Spirit to those who have been born again. And the Spirit can control those fleshly desires as we surrender to him. Now that word, again, that you see there is consider, is, is nekruel. And it, in the King James translated, is mortify. Mortify and, and put to death. Literally, to kill or, again, to bring to death. And that is the desires. Those are the passions. Those situations that are ungodly. Now believers are to, it, it starts with a, a deliberate choice. You made a deliberate choice today. More than one, but the one I'm going to talk about, you decided today's the day you're going to go to church. You had to make a choice. Maybe you made it last night, and it's just like that. You make a choice to eat or to go out to dinner, whatever you do. You have to make a choice. Are you going to be found in Christ or out of Christ? Are you going to walk in the Spirit or are you going to walk in the flesh? It begins with a deliberate choice. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to finish this race at? You want to hear those words, good and faithful servant, because every one of us that are born again will hear some words at that judgment seat. Rewards will either be poured out, or we'll just get into heaven by the, the stench, the smell of smoke. And some people will struggle with sin all their life, the same sin. But God wants to free you today. It's not a matter of coming to me. It's not a matter of any special thing other than saying, God, save me. It doesn't take a long prayer. It's, it's knowing that you need to change your life. And you can't do it on your own. Well, see, when we're doing it on our own, we have this confidence in our flesh. And that's what the struggle is. It, it just You have to come to the end of self and say, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore. And I've tried. I've exhausted myself. And I can't. Lord, save me. Remember when Peter walked on the water? 
And he took his eyes off Jesus, looked at the circumstances, went down. He said, Lord, save me. That's all you need to do. With a sincere heart, Lord, save me. And then allow him to teach you how to walk through this life. The battle with sin, is a, it's common for all believers. In, in, again, Romans chapter 7, there's this battle that goes on. And, and Paul talks about, he's the apostle Paul. Oh man, he's the man. He's the man cut above everyone. He's the apostle of apostles. Every single person has this same struggle. Look at Romans 6, 11 through 13. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that it obeys its lust. Do not go on presenting your members of the body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members of instruments of righteousness. Now, the words that I want to call your attention to are in verse 12 there. Look on the screen. Therefore, do not let sin reign. If God gives you a command that says, do not let it rain or do not do, he is also giving you the power to be an overcomer that is in him. When he gives you a command, he gives the power to be an overcomer. So we're to consider or reckon, reckon those desires. When that desire comes, you, you've already made that determination. I'm going to turn away. I'm not going to be a part of it. it. It could be watching TV. TV, some things on TV you should not watch. It just inflames our lust in some cases. We have to be careful. Notice in verse 5, there's a death sentence. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed. Notice what it, it says there which amounts to idolatry. Idolatry. It, it's putting something in place of God. It becomes your idol of worship. And it can be anything, anything at all, that gets in the way between you and God. Something that you would rather spend more time with than God. Something that occupies all of your thoughts. Well, Paul narrows it to five sins that are mentioned here. First is immorality. Pornea is what is a general word for sexual immorality. Both within and without the marriage union. It can be both ways. Pornea is, is a broad term. It's covering and referring to every kind of sexual encounter outside this bond of marriage. Anything that's considered immoral, inappropriate, Anything that is only self-seeking is not considering the other partner, that other person in there. Well, the second thing that you see there is notice the word impurity, which is uncleanness. It's impure thoughts, filth, rottenness, moral impurity, doing things that dirty and pollute. Soiling of the life is the idea what it is. It's, it is the most immoral Behavior unimaginable. Think back with me in Genesis. In Genesis 6, it talks about before the world was destroyed with a flood, that they continually thought on evil all the time. 24-7. When you get addicted to sin, or especially pornography, let's go there, 
it keeps getting deeper and deeper. Well, the third thing is a passion. The word is pathos. Um, it's a lust, which refers to uncontrollable desire. And that's important. Uncontrollable desire. That you're living for that one thing. It, it's a desire to use others only for one selfishness. These, these terms, they overlap each other. It's only self-seeking. This is not to be in a marriage relationship, let alone the world. This sensual gratification is uncontrollable, and it's, it includes both heterosexual and homosexual relationships. These are hard words, but they're words that the world is saying, this is normal. As normal as Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know how that story ends. Romans 1.26, notice what it says. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading to passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for the unnatural. Another translation says, he turned them over to a reprobate mind, a mind that didn't work. And they begin to say, this is normal, this is right. Even though it's unnatural. Notice, fourthly, the, the phrase is evil desires refer to, to yearning and craving, and you can see how these overlap, but it's, it's, it's covering all these bases, all the things within, and it is within the person that pulls them to desire and grasp and grab. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow character, reap a destiny. You know, if you think on something long enough, if you think on a, a, a woman or a guy or you just got to have something, eventually you're going to do whatever you can to accomplish that. That's what happens. You keep feeding the flesh. There's a battle that goes on and you have to decide, are, are you going to feed the spirit or the flesh? So the choices you make, you sow that thought. You, you begin to linger, and you're going to pretty soon reap that action. And that action becomes a habit, and it just keeps going down that line. And so the person has no control. It's not even the person that you used to know. Sometimes husbands and wives, something happens to one of them, and, and it's, it's not, I don't even know this person. Sometimes in kids, or brothers, or sisters. Well, fifthly, it focuses on greed. Which brings us to greed, which amounts to all idolatry, it says. Here, greed applies to sex because that's what it's talking about. This insatiable appetite for things. But I don't think Paul limits to that. Because idolatry is anything that you put in the place of God. Anything that you'd be rather doing than being with God. Being set apart for Him. Ephesus 5.5 5 says this, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Either you're in Christ or you're in the world and the world will take you down. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's a liar from the beginning. He's going to tell you, this is, this is great. It's fun, isn't it? And he draws you in, and then he hooks you. And we talked about sin last week, and how sin, what it does is it first blinds you. You can justify it. It, it puts you then in, in chains. It binds you. 
and it leaves you in this life just grinding away in life, nothing can satisfy you at all. Ladies, you're talking about men, you say. The amount of women that are caught up in pornography is rising quickly. It's alarming numbers almost as much as the men. Men have seduced the women into this. So if you love me, you'll do this. See, this is what sin does. It it takes us into bondage. It starts with what seems to be innocence because of love, and, and it leaves you robbed. You have no respect for yourself. Verse 6 says, For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Your man will either turn his life over to God or he'll turn his life over to a God of this world who is not a God at all. They'll be blinded. Arthur Pink, in his book on the attributes of God, says this, God's wrath, his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It is a displeasure, indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God that stirs into activity against sin. God will judge sin. And when I'm talking about sin, he's already judged sin on the cross for everyone who has trusted in him, everyone who believes in him. Everyone who continues in his word. And people can say, I'm reading his word. It's not a matter of just reading the word. What he's talking about when you continue in the word is walking out this in our lives. Learning to put off the things of the flesh. Learning to rest in him and, and trust. Recognizing that this flesh is weak. And it's so easy for every one of us to yield to it and justify. Well, you know, it's been a while since we had dessert. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with dessert. I love dessert. But then, well, that was at lunch. And we have something to celebrate tonight. And pretty soon we're we're off in a a thing when we decide we're not going to do these things for a while or just have them infrequently. And you begin to have this habit. See, the sin that he's talking about is something that's habitual. It's ongoing day in and day out. It's something that's got a hold of you. It's not falling here or there, but it's something that is mastering, controlling your life. Those who practice such things, these immorality, will not enter the kingdom of God. And if you're in that situation habitually in any one of these, or any sin, God is saying, call upon me. Come to me, and I will set you free. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And he'll teach you. He doesn't say come to the church. He says come to him. You can do this personally, quietly on your own. Maybe you need to come to someone and seek that help in addition. And God can use that. But the first thing is to recognize the struggle in your life. And second is to confess and repent of it. In knowing that you can't do it on your own, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you. First Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. I love this passage. It says, for, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned 
to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescued us from the wrath to come. And, and this is so true sometimes. And, and you, the people, when they're born again, they'll, they'll turn away from the things of the flesh. They're hanging out with everyone that's in the Lord and they're in the word and they're praying and, and they're being encouraged and encouraging others, and then they begin to slip back into their old rut. And they come to church, and everything is fine. But it's not fine. And come to church and put on a mask. So many people said they've been to church, but they, they don't want to come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And there is a little hypocrisy in all of us. But we need to make a deliberate choice that for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will focus on His Word. We will hide His Word in our heart. We will look for His coming. There's many things I'd like to see in life and do in life. But I also say at the same time, Lord, this would be a good time to come while I'm doing what's right. There's sometimes I wouldn't want him to come in, at that time in my life. Do you know what I mean in your own life? The better thing is to go and be with the Lord, but yet the needful thing is that we be here to encourage one another, provoke one another onto good works, as the scripture would say. The unbeliever, listen in John 3, 36, notice what it says. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son, will not see life. But the wrath of God abides upon him. Every person who's not been born again, this is important to understand, he is abiding under the wrath. He is already condemned. But those who have come into the kingdom are not condemned. The wrath abides upon the unbeliever. Notice again in Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves through the day of wrath and revelation at the righteous judgment of God. A religious person can be so religious but yet not have that relationship and be a wonderful hypocrite is what it's saying. Again, the stubbornness, unrepentant heart. There needs to be someone in your life, first to God, but there needs to be someone close, a, a, a guy with a guy, a, a gal with a gal, that you can say, you know, I'm struggling with this, and that you can pray together, encourage one another, be accountable to one another. The believer, though, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, notice it says, For God has not destined us to wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer, one who has been born again, God has not destined us to wrath. We know that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. That's important to understand. But obtaining salvation, salvation is twofold. Number one, that God is working in you now. He's changing you. He's transforming you as you yield. But one day there's going to be a judgment come upon this world and you'll be safe for that judgment. That comes upon the unbelievers. We'll look at verse 7. And in them you once walked when you were living in them. So sin is a, was a part of the, the believer's past. And it's still a part of us, in a sense, because we still have this sin nature, this unredeemed body. 
And Paul gives really the second reason for putting sin to death, saying, in effect, that you know some degree, this is how you used to live. You're, you're, you're weak. I've heard believers say, remember the good old days? We were drunk and we were barfing and we were all the different things that they say. Were those the good old days? No. Your life changed. Is it wrong to drink? I don't think it's wrong to drink. Some people probably shouldn't drink because they cannot control it. It masters them. And I don't think it's always wise. And sometimes it stumbles some people, so we have to make that decision. Do we or not? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. That means that you're, you're changing. There's new desires. You're with people, meeting people. You never ever imagined that you'd be in the same room with these people. You come to know them and come to love them. And you're doing things you never could imagine. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he goes on, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in sin? It's real easy to fall in a rut. You ever get your car caught in a rut? You know, you're kind of backing up and all of a sudden you can't get out of this rut. It's too deep. Well, spiritually, you can get in a rut. There are spiritual ruts. You, you go back to a place, like a dog returned to vomit, and get stuck in a place. That's the battle that every believer still has. So in verse 8, we're, we're to put off this old man now. But now you also put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. When did you lay it aside? When you identified with Christ, that when you were baptized, you're, it's only identification. The baptism doesn't save you, but you say, he died for my sins, I'm, I'm identifying with him, and that I'm raised in this newness of life. There have been some people that have come out of the water, I know they're a different person. Not because they're just jumping with hands and joy and they're singing, but there's something different. Man, I didn't realize how blue the sky was or how many stars there are at nighttime and people are so excited. But the real mark is when they read the word and it begins to make sense to them. And they begin to be excited about it. And when they don't read the word and they go out to have a bad day, they recognize it. It's because I wasn't in the word. I wasn't in his presence. I believe when you're going through the Word of God, wherever you're at in the passage, I believe this is so true, that's where you're at in life. Those things that you're reading, that is manna for that day. And there's something, if you read it meditatively and focus upon God and ask God to speak, there's something there that's going to apply, something that's going to comfort you, something that's going to warn you of what is ahead. I had to recognize that sin before I could change that sin, before I could lay that sin at the foot of Jesus. See, you don't see yourself how you really are. Others see how you are. You need that relationship where you can talk to someone and they can speak into you. You need to give them permission. 
You know that they love you and they're sharing honestly and, and they're speaking and, and you can listen to it because once you recognize that, you can give it to the Lord and the Lord will set you free. Again, he says, put them off. He's saying put off the old man or put off the clothes. Our sins, our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's a stench. We, can, we don't even know it when we're just on ourselves. But, but when it's put off, we recognize it. And that's what he's saying. Just as you take those dirty clothes off, it has a stench. There's a stench to God. There's a stench to others. And we need to put off these things just as we put off clothes. So we need to put off these repulsive habits, these patterns. Maybe you're critical or cynical of someone. Always fault-finding of someone. You've got to put it away. They're repulsive. But not to you, because see, sin always seems good for a while. But he's saying this, you have to recognize these things, and you've got to put them away. And once you get away from it a while, then you recognize, I really did that, I really... And you'd be horrified. Again, the phrase, put aside, it's used, as I mentioned, to taking off clothes. In fact, it's the same word that's used in Acts... Chapter 7, when um, Saul, who became Paul, was standing there as a young boy, and they were stoning Stephen. They were laying their garments aside. Same identical word. So these put-offs are, are, are fleshly deeds. We've got to get rid of them. We've got to recognize there's a, a stench about them. They destroy relationships. And in reality, they make us miserable inside. Look at Isaiah 64, 6. It says, For all of us have become like one who's unclean. All, all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. And all of us are white like a leaf. Symbolically is what he's talking about. Again, that we need to be cleansed. We need to be continually cleansed day in and day out. And that's confessing our sins to the Lord. Confessing our sins to one another. When you've sinned against someone, you need to go to them and say, I was wrong. I, I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. It's important to understand. So Paul's calling the believers to put aside the, the remnants of their old life. You can't carry this on. No baggage. And I love that. There's no baggage when we leave this life into heaven. Your sins will not follow you. The memories of these things anymore, they're gone. The desires will be gone because the, the work will be finished. So we're, it's put aside the, the madness in our life. Put aside the anger and the wrath. It's putting aside the uncontrollable passions, and particularly that of anger. Bad tempers, bad testimonies. Important to understand. Now the word anger is generally used for the word anger, rage, and fury. It's deep, it's smoldering, it's resentful bitterness. I want to ask you a question. Are you bitter in your heart about someone, something in the past? People will carry it year after year after year after year. 20 years down the road. That bitterness that's in that heart, something is undealt with, will turn into anger and lash out at other people as well. An unforgiving heart is the same way. James 1.19 and 20 says this, 
This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen means that that I need to hear what they're saying and, and understand really what they're meaning. That's so important. Do I know what they're meaning? Oftentimes, there would be a battle, disagreements between people, and they're arguing about something that was never even said, never even the context of the message. A lot of assumptions, and that assumptions causes us to sin. And often, turns to wrath and rage. They're all connected. Again, and do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for the wrath. God will take care of it. Look at Luke 4, 28 and 29, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard the things. They got up and drove him out of the city, and they led him the brow of the hill, which is a city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. This is an amazing thing. I've been in the place, and there's this huge cliff, and synagogue was there, and he just walks right through the middle. They're so full of rage, wanting to throw him off this cliff because of what he read and his claims. They really didn't want to hear. They were not teachable. They would not understand. And that's what rage, when a person's in rage, there is no talking to them. Put it off. Put it away. In Acts 19.28, it says, When they heard this, they were filled with rage, and they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis, the Ephesians. And this was over Paul. Explaining who the true God is. And maybe you've shared the faith, and people have become so angry. I've experienced that a couple times in my life, where people just poured out all their hearts in anger not heard a word. Ephesians 4.31 says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with malice. So it's putting aside this, this malice. It's in verse 8. Malice is evil. It manifests itself in, in a way that's, that's hard, and it's, it's vindictive. He's saying, put this off. People think they, they have this control, but their mind goes on and again and again. Well, he goes on. Another thing is, is put off the mouth. Well, again, it's, it's the words he's using. But put aside slander, blasphemy, filthy communication, lies. Put it off. A bad mouth is, is to really be removed. It should, something should never come from the mouth of a believer. It totally destroys our, our testimony that we believe in Christ because... You never hear those things from Christ's mouth. Now, the, the word slander is used. First of all, the word slander and blasphemy, it comes from blasphemy. In the Bible, it's the same word, but it's blaspheme God and slander people. When you slander people, you are blaspheme God because they're made in that image and likeness of God. It's foolish talk that needs to be put away. Matthew 5.22 says this, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery pit of hell. 
you know, this seems hard, but, but this is God's word. This is God's holy nature that we don't condemn others. That's not, that's not our place. We're not to be angry and lash out. In fact, James 3.8 says this about the tongue, but, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men or are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. See, our speech is, is not to be abusive. It's not to be obscene or, or derogatory. It's not, never should be intended to hurt or wound anyone. And I, I'm guilty of these things. It's in my past. But the capacity is still within me until the day the Lord redeems me. And that's true in you. Again, we're not to be foul-mouthed, abusive, Lightfoot would say. And Ephesians 5, 4 says this, and there must be no filthy or filthiness or silly talk, of course, gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather give thanks. See, the words that come from our mouth are to be edifying, encouraging, and building one up. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know why they're reacting the way they do. It should be loving, encouraging, well, again, verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside your old self with your evil practices. Every one of us are here a liar. If you lied, you've, you're a liar. That's your past. That's your nature. That capacity is still within you. But he makes it very clear. Do not lie. Why? Because people are lying naturally. Well, it's just a little white lie or we kind of stretch the truth. It's a lie. It's wrong, he's saying. Everyone is guilty. Lying is right from the, the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows the day in which you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Well, there's a partial truth there. It's a lie. Satan lied. And then think of again Genesis 4, 9. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper after he murders him? Lying comes natural, doesn't it? We may not verbally lie, but we can live a life of a lie, and that's a hypocrite. Anytime you deceive somebody, it's, it's lying. Lying is characterized, really, of Satan. He's a liar from the beginning, the scripture says. God never lies. And for me, I, I don't think there's any time that a Christian ever should lie because it's compared with Satan. If I'm to lie because I'm worried about protection and my own self or, or someone else, I'm really saying I'm not trusting God. Well, the fact is, you and I can be victorious of sin. It starts by making a decision to put off these things of the flesh. To literally take and understand that God says, do this, get rid of it, lay them aside. Because these things, when we lay them aside, we will have a fuller and completer life. And Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, repute. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell upon these things. Think about the life. Think about when you became a, a, a Christian. Think about what God's doing in someone's life. 
They've made a decision for Christ. Yes, they're not perfect, but look at what God is doing. Fan the flame in their lives. Encourage them to be everything that God would have them be. So God's saying simply, put off this old self. Put off this old nature. And put on Christ. That's what we're going to look at in two weeks. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, closing verses. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. If you want to put off these things, you have to become heavenly focused, focused on heaven, focused upon what God is doing in this life. That's so important. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for such a difficult text. It's, it's hard for all of us really to cling to, to be excited about when you tell us to put off these things. But Lord, it is the desire of our heart. We want to walk closer with you more intimately. And we don't want any of these things ever to hinder our relationship with you. Lord, so we ask that uh, where there needs to be conviction in our heart, that you would convict us. Convict us of that sin and grant us that grace of repentance. Lord, that we would become all that you would have us be. All God's people said, Amen.